everyone is like so focused on like creating this monetary value. Like this shit doesn't matter if you're you're not alive like what's the value of wealth if you can't enjoy it and like spend it on rad things like vacations (laughs) you know if you can't literally carry your suitcase to the airport what's the point of all this shit hey it's the engineering podcast i'm adam i'm brian and i'm pat welcome back for another hang talking about technology philosophy the world (laughs) we uh (laughs) That third voice this week is a good friend of ours, uh, Pat Connolly, who I have probably known only a year shorter than... When did you start? Like sixth grade, seventh grade? Yeah, I was a sixth grader. So I was 12 sixth grader? Old. Yeah. Man. So I've known you only a year shy of how long I've known Brian. <laughs> we got a lot of years on here right now. Yeah. You guys look great, though. Didn't need it that way. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, like, Pat, Pat, you've, you've always been, I think, just as nerdy as all the rest of us, but better at cooler sports. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great I think we can only call the cross a cooler sport in Baltimore, but we'll right, right. like that once we get outside of that, that little community. Yeah. yeah. I'm, oh, well, I'm definitely speaking on a high school scale. Yeah. Here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but... You also, I, I was trying to think through who of the people that we came up with, I mean, a lot of them work for what you would consider startups and stuff, LinkedIn, Google, whatever. But like, you're the only person I still talk to from back then who has the same like start my own company level startup experience that Brian and I frequently talk about. Like, I think we just did an episode on one, right? It's been the best thing and worst thing for my health I've ever done. That's for sure. <laughs> and now you work in health, right? Yeah, so I can, uh, it's a, it's I can a super agree entirely with that comment. <laughs> so yes, what do you? So you want to talk about what you're yeah. up to now? So about a year and a half ago, I found a cavity. I give you the backstory. Um, like Adam, I played uh, I played a, a college sport um, at Penn, and uh, you know, kind of was very much in the fitness mindset afterwards. But when I was 26, 25, I developed high blood pressure. Um, not very surprising. It runs in my family. Um, but pretty surprising that it happened when I was still exercising a few hours a day and I didn't, I really didn't understand what was going on and I was really scared and, you know, had to start taking high blood pressure pills and I was 26 and the idea of taking those for another 20, 30 years was, uh, it was weird. Um, it was an, it was an odd feeling. So kind of started rethinking my health and kind of really moving away what I, what I would call like the broy, pratty college diet of sandwiches and light beers and all that nonsense and you know protein supplements <laughs> yeah vegetables only in sliced form on top of my sandwiches to really building what what became my health kind of philosophy you know from the 10 years and um you know with kind of the invention of the wearable market you know probably uh, was probably five years ago i started thinking about you know what that meant for me and i was testing those wearables and they weren't working for me and i know they're working, working for a lot of people so i built a model first where i could take all that real-time data and actually put it into a score so crevity um, and its infancy was a really simple scoring model where you could see your health across uh, sleep exercise nutrition from a score of one to 100 for both the individual pieces and for the total pieces so sleep and exercise are pretty easy you can either add them manually or, or you know you're being your phone's tracking everything you're doing at all times you know so 
Um, that's great and also super scary of you guys, as, as you guys have pointed out. <laughs> Everything you're doing. <laughs> nutrition was a little harder. And I, I, nutrition for me, and we'll talk about this, is, is way less about what you're eating. And that's what a lot of the current models are. and More where you're eating and how you're connected to your food. So I actually built a scoring model based on um, your credit and debit card purchases. So I can figure out where you're eating, where you're buying food and give you a score based on that. So for me, it's if you're more connected to your food or less connected to your food, say, you know, are you shopping at Whole Foods or, or are you just going to the, you know, the, the local taqueria? And obviously I think that the latter is more healthy. So, you know, creating a scoring model that way, very much based on kind of like the Italian idea of eating, like have some pasta, have some meats, enjoy your experience. But, you know, if you're cooking more and eating more at home with, with friends and family, you're probably gonna be healthier. So that was the initial thing. And, um, to be frank, it didn't work because most wearable data doesn't work. People see it and they get either like, oh, this is great. I'm healthy. You're like, screw this. I'm not healthy. I'm going to stop looking at this. I don't want to think about how I only slept six hours last night as I trudged my way to work and crushed my double frappuccino in the car. Um, so on top of that, we built a... Uh, on top of that, we built a community. Um, and from a from a behavioral science standpoint, it, community is your friends, your family, have been the only way proven to actually stay healthy. And you can think about it in a pretty easy way. If, if you're if you're if your partner, if your if your friends are eating burgers and fries, you can only sustain eating a salad for so long. So how do you actually <laughs> surround with people and yeah. who are active and who want to you know you know have a professional life but enjoy? That shit's delicious. So, yeah, it is. Delicious. <laughs> I actually had a burger last night, so it's not that you can't die away from. We were talking about this before. One of the reasons I woke up early this morning. No, I was talking to my wife about it this morning. One of the reasons I woke up early was just so that I wouldn't have to leave this to go to the bathroom every 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to two hours to clear out last night's bad behavior before I can oh, lock in for 45 minutes of talking. <laughs> I went to a luau. I had a whole plate full of pork and like <laughs> all kinds of pastas and desserts, like a whole plate of dessert. So delicious, though. Desserts my trip tonight. It's amazing. <laughs> I swear, every other day this week, though. Spot so this, on. so, so, what you're just saying about data treads in the space that for me is has been always been. I used to, if people asked me like which tracker to use or something, I used to push them toward the Nike Fuel one, yeah. because I thought at the very least they were trying to uncouple all of these useless metrics from. From their meaning, it's like you track how far you run in miles. That's so fucking dumb. A mile is so long. But it's like, but if people ran under a mile, they're not going to be like, I ran 600 meters this morning. But it's like, if you don't do shit, 600 meters is great. Do the 600 meters. But it's not very satisfying. And that's what, like, even a step is not as, I mean, a step is better because at least it's in the 20,000s, you know, by the end of a, a good day or something. But like it still is, it's it. They're not, they're not satisfying ways to track what you're up to unless you know how to contextualize them. Yep. And so and they're actually Nike was trying to just go, hey, here's some points, and you just go, I got higher than yesterday. Don't know it's what's crazy. going on behind those points, but <laughs> steps are a um like this. They were part of a Japanese pedometer marking campaign in the 70s. Like they have no. They have no piece of science or, or empirical data that's supporting that. It was a marketing campaign and, you know, we came along 20 years later and made it easier and digitized it better. And wearables are based on kind of this obscenely weird metric, to your point, Adam. And, and we've kind of gotten lost in that. And, you know, I, I do check my steps. You know, I, I look at that stuff. I enjoy it. You know, I'm a bit narcissistic in that way about my health. But, I mean, yeah, you could do – it doesn't – you just got to do something and – 
it's so it's man there's so many there's uh, every time you talk there's layers there's so much that there's (laughs) nothing wrong with the narcissistic component it's it's fun to look healthier like yeah. I, I, uh, but we're you're kind of not allowed to talk about beneficial that. Too. It drives me fucking crazy. Right? There's a like lot in this episode that's going to drive uh, us crazy. Um, <laughs> but also, you talked about the marketing piece, which is what is the real rabbit hole, I think, to chase there. Which is the idea of like the messaging is all around this. Like, okay, I'm going to get healthy. <laughs> like it's a thing you achieve, and then you're finished, and you can be done with that project. Right. Yeah, so a lot of the options are not sustainable, and so they just result in more and more miserable people that are like, "Fuck it, I quit. I tried." (laughs) It is like people jump in so fast. I mean, think about like the gym thing. It's like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go kick ass the gym for two weeks, and like then your body just breaks in half. It's like, please stop doing this to me. I can't take it anymore. And then you go back to the gym for a month. So it's funny. Like when I talk about the the cost thing, like walking around a several for an hour or two every day is probably the best thing you can do for your body for the average person. Right. But like everyone wants to look like The Rock or, you know, Michael Phelps. And it's like, just take it one step at a time. Like, I, I have no problem with people busting weights to the gym and, you know, grunting and moaning and getting excited. But <laughs> most of that is, is, is kind of, it's just kind of silly. You know, I, and I do it. You know, I'm, I'm part of that. Experience. Yeah. I, I totally engage in the, the, when we were chatting before we started recording, the thing that made me go, no, oh, no, stop. I'm going to start recording and we'll do the intros. Was like you were talking about fad diets and like the effort to get this stuff in check versus like what the real goal with being like we it, it's 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 in that metric space right like your weight is just a metric and people use it to signify this thing which then turns it into part of this conversation that's I don't generally feel like very productive when the goal is just like you want to be healthy and you want to be happy. And how is that meant to be achieved? And people naturally gravitate toward things where it's like, oh, I'll get to there in 90 days. That feels doable. Here's my money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got an interesting uh, system right now where when you're young, I I think there's a lot of emphasis on, on fitness and health and activity and stuff. And I was actually fairly resistant to that as a kid. Um, I didn't play sports like you guys. I didn't. Uh, I mean, I, I was active in different ways, but... Um, definitely more active, more aware now. But as a kid, I always felt like I was being told to be active to achieve a, to achieve like a competitive goal, as opposed to, uh, I'm not sure what I was opposed to there, but it didn't feel right for some reason. I was like, I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that. I'm not, I wasn't a super competitive kid. Uh, and then as an adult, there's, there's not, there's not like that. There's not a thing to be competitive against anymore. It's like, I got to be healthy or I'm going to have a heart attack. And so it's not like the heart attack's your enemy. It's not like you have people that are your enemy anymore. Um, and I feel like a lot of people don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah, it's interesting because after those, those, those younger years where you're with a lot of people who are trying to be healthy, you're really much on your own after that, to your point, Brian, like, you're, you're exercising by yourself. I mean, Adam, you went for a ride this morning by yourself. I surf a lot by myself. You know, you do these things to mostly because you don't have time to get a, get a group of five or 10 people together. It'd be great if you did. But mm-hmm. I wonder if that has an impact on, on our inability to kind of sustain those lifestyles as a, as a, as a group of people in a community. Yeah, I've always I mean, wondered I that. that. I mean, the things you do when you're younger 
you naturally have this is gr- you have large groups of people of the same age same strength same physical fitness kind of same developmental period and so it's easy to to do big games it's easy to coordinate lacrosse games or swim meets and stuff but as an adult everyone's got a different schedule and all of a sudden but also you're stupid kids so your parents <laughs> co- let's be straight your parents coordinate all that shit you just show up that's a good point that's right? a good point you're not like scheduling your games <laughs> administrate coordinate all that shit all the stuff so that's it's hard funny, to do like running around easy for a human but scheduling when to run around right so like Maybe that even taps into the education across. thing, right? Because how do you teach people the lessons that we're talking about here other than make them do things that kids are very familiar like, why do I have to go to gym class? I'm bad if, at it. Everyone laughs at me. What if the like, lesson for kids is that the adults play the sports and the kids have to like schedule and coordinate <laughs> and keep score? And then when you're older, you'll feel like, man, I've been waiting my whole life to get out there. That skill set would better prepare them for the world they're going to graduate into. <sighs> It's true. I mean, I wonder why, you know, so many people jump to personal trainers in their 20s and 30s just to get motivated, you know? I mean, it's expensive, too. I, I was sharing this with, with the guys where we started $65 billion a year on weight loss programs, dieting, and gym memberships. That is an insane amount of money. That's not, and that's outside of the healthcare space that we're already, you know, throwing 20% of our GDP at. I mean, these are like real dollars. And for most of us, the ability to get fit is a pair of running shoes and, you know, going to the grocery store every week. It's, it's, it's scary. And I, I get it. You know, you want to, you want to be fit. You want to feel like your money is going to a place that matters, but your time is really the, the limiting factor for everyone. So what's your uh, what's your model, Pat? Either like you just personally or through Carevity. Like how does that play into your mindset for fitness for yourself, fitness and health and well-being and, and looking good yeah. and feeling good? I mean, I think the, the first thing that, to start with, which is the hardest thing, and I don't have kids. Um, I know that the, the, the people on this podcast don't either yet. Um, so I know sleeping is hard when you have kids, but and I know it's hard with work, but if you're not sleeping to seven to nine hours each night, you're as an average adult, you're in trouble. I mean, your body does these amazing things and resetting itself and your blood pressure goes down at night and um, all these really unique things that are going to keep you healthy. And if you don't do that, it's like, I mean, I don't know the best way to describe it. Maybe it's like waking up hungover every day and your bodies are just off and you, you actually crave fatty foods. You crave, crave bad foods and your blood pressure doesn't get to reset. So you basically wake up as kind of like a, a health zombie. So if you could just start with sleeping that amount each night, and it'll it'll vary per person. But that's what the uh, the National Sleep Foundation National Sleep Foundation recommends: seven to nine hours each night. You're going to make a big difference. So, like for me, for example, and Adam, you you woke up really early this morning to go, to go run. I always wonder whether it's whether you know it's worth sleeping that extra two hours in the morning or going for a run. And I, I struggle with this. You know, I wake up early to go surf so I can get to work on time. You know, I'm up in the pre-dawn hours, and you know, I'm exhausted by like six or seven o'clock at night. And, you know, it affects my social life, and I'm less. Yeah, I was going to say that's achieved by going it to is, bed at it eight. Is. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's virtually that's hard, impossible. Though, you know, <laughs> I know. I know. Um, Sticking to that is probably the hardest thing I do in a day. It's honestly. If you can, it it just backloads the effort. If I can get to bed early, the waking up early part stays easy. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about sleep for a little bit because that that sure seems like one of the places that uh, everyone's probably heard that right. Hey, man, you got to get eight hours of sleep. Like, go to bed early, early to bed, early to rise. 
healthy, wealthy, and wise, early bird gets the worm, like all that trite stuff. But uh, that one, people like really overlook that. I spent 10 years like priding myself on never sleeping. Like my whole 20s was sleep as absolutely little as possible and then like crash a couple days a week to try and quote unquote catch up. I always used to say when people would ask me about like broader lessons from being an athlete at the level that I was, I was used to, I always used to tell them that I realized that like taking part in that sort of sustained effort was more about the rest than it was about the effort. It was easy to show up and bust my ass for two hours until I had nothing left. The hard part was over here. I got to not do some things that are going to affect my recovery. I got to do other things that will help my recovery, but are not necessarily fun. I have to skip going to parties I never went to a basketball game in college, even though I went to an ACC school, because I, you had to stand for too long, and that would affect my, my recovery. My little legs would be tired the next day. But it's like the, the sleep piece, when I, when I, and I was really starkly reminded of that when I went back to school, because I realized the extent to which in every day in co intellectual conversations, I had an edge on people just because they seemed fucking tired. It's so true. Was I was up, uh, I slept for three hours last night to study for this. And I was like, I did as much studying as I could do with enough time to sleep. So my brain could remember that shit. And I'm here like, Hey, let's take a test. And they're all going this fucking guy. <laughs> This old but guy's really killing it. My secret. <laughs> <laughs> my secret partially is I'm only here to pass. So I'm not too worried about, you know, some of the same things you are. But to your point, Adam, talk about it. Also, I realize if I can, like what your brain does at night is phenomenal. And if your job, like in law school, is just to use your brain, then you got to take care of the hunk of meat. Like, there's no, you know, it's like, having a car and being like, well, I'm going to get in it and just drive it until it craps out. Leave it running overnight. It's like, yeah. hey, it'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. I'm good. But like to your point, Adam, productivity is so based. I mean, Jones, I, mean, I think we all fall in this like fallacy of time management. Like I just want to put more time in more time. And like this happens to me all, you know, I get excited about something. All of a sudden it's one in the morning. I'm working on a project. I want to stop. And then you know, the worst part is I'm so excited. It takes me two hours to fall asleep after that. But, you know, and I hate pointing out singular examples, but it's such a good one. Elon Musk sleeps eight hours a night. Okay. Like you are likely not as busy as, as him. He runs two, he runs two the of the hell? biggest companies in the world or the, not the biggest companies, but right. I think he's like a triplet. You definitely don't have as much. Like, I, he has children as well, right? So don't even tell me, like, well, he doesn't know. And he, he has, plays video games. He swears. Like, tons I of them. I guarantee you, God damn he it, has you more on his plate. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day where the best part was the last 10 minutes when they were trying to wrap up and he seemed like he didn't want to leave. He was like, what are you guys into? And one of the hosts was just like, I, I play a lot of StarCraft. And then he straight had a like, I know what I'm talking about conversation with him about StarCraft for 10 minutes. <laughs> like saying esoteric things. Like he, he clearly, you know, like. <laughs> and I guarantee you, for our listeners, no matter how much you think you have on your plate when you wake up in the morning, that guy's got more. <laughs> <laughs> like, Unreal. Just, 
<laughs> but I think we're so overwhelmed with how many things we think we have to do. And, you know, I feel that way and I think everyone feels that way. But if you can really accomplish like three or four really big things every day, you're crushing it, you know, and then you can enjoy that sleep process. And I think one thing that's hard about sleep too, especially in this, this you know, fully connected world is you got to take some time before you go to sleep to like step off, you know, and, and, you know, reading has always been the example for most people. You know, I mean, I, I, I like everyone else in the world. I check my phone seconds before I put my head on the pillow. I mean, oh my God, like did someone, you know, drop an Instagram post at, you know, 11 o'clock at night that I missed? Yeah. I mean, Pat, you really, I, not I appropriate, like, but I so almost said, want to take the conversation to the idea of time management. Cause that's, that's like maybe that's the same even place a bigger I was underlying go. problem. You said if you can do two or three big things, right? And so I, I realized like well, part of the problem when you're, you go to work and your job is in this space where you're like, okay, I got to do a programming thing or I got to do a marketing thing, like, like knowledge jobs, you, you have tasks, you have broader goals in front of you, right? When I was, and, and this, and this kicks back to sports, which kicks back to health. It's like, I, I wanted to go to the Olympics. But first, I had to do well at NCAAs, and before that, I had to do well at ACCs, and before that, I had to do well in that practice that I was in right at that moment. But if all you ever think about is, like, you need to know that the Olympics are out there, but if you obsess about it too much, it's, it's like, backbreaking. And so part of the time management piece is, like, this almost zen thing of, of trying to figure out, like, what does constitute a big thing? Because if I'm writing an email to someone really important, sometimes just getting that email out the door is a big thing, right? Because it's like, I I was scared to write it. I needed to proofread it. I had to run it by my crew. Like I had, to, you know, like there's there's this whole like, ah, part of it. And, and to some extent, I, I probably feel more like that than I should. And I could worry about it less. But also you got to, give credence to that in your day if you're trying to calibrate like okay what did i get done today i sent five slack messages i sent two email two emails i walked around juggling for four hours like as long as that was on your to-do list sometimes that's a really productive day if the next day that the person answers that email and they're like yeah let's do it (laughs) right like but from a behavioral standpoint, it's really important because if you do a million things, like send out a million crappy emails and a million like things, you want you actually want responses in the same time that you're sending them out. So I get super anxious if I send like 15 emails. I'm like, why isn't anyone emailing me back? What are they doing over there? I'm freaking out. But if you send one beautifully crafted email and it's really important and you get the response you want, um, and this happens on Startup Life all the time. If you do these small things that become really important, you actually are willing to wait more more to then, okay, like this person's sending a thoughtful response because I sent a thoughtful email. You know, you kind of like slow down a little bit and let things happen more organically. And um, you kind of go through life in a, in a better mindset, I think, too. I'm amazed uh, at there. I think everyone has those days where they have uh, just unbelievable success with the thing that they're, the things that they're trying to do that day. Uh, and I wish that the complexity of your daily life could be measured and tracked and I could pull out the features of that day that made it successful. Um, Because I think we would just be 
blown away at the simplicity of what it takes to be happy and healthy and calm and productive every day. Uh, and I think we kind of know all these things. Like we're start, you're running through them. Get, get good sleep. Uh, don't put too much on your plate. Concentrate on the couple things that are really important for the day. Uh, and it's just, why is it so hard? Why is it? I mean, all three of us on this conversation right now, for sure, know. I think that most days we're probably like frantic, trying to do too much bullshit, <laughs> and we know that we could cut a lot of it out. Well, like we know don't check Slack and my text messages every 30 seconds. But I just don't do it. I just most days I dig around and I, I do that all day. What the hell is our problem? And what do we do about it? <laughs> and you get you get trapped there too. I mean, you know, we're talking about productivity here, like it's it's pretty much been proven. And, and you know, I've seen enough studies where if you get up and walk around in the afternoon, when you're working, you're going to be smarter, going to do your job better. But we all get trapped, like just stuck to our computers. Like we have to respond in within 30 seconds and, and this whole kind of fallacy of, of productivity. But if you take a 20 minute walk in the afternoon, your day is going to be better for every, every piece of it. You're going to work better. You're going to feel better. You're going to look better. Um, such a simple thing that I know so many times I'm just in the zone and I want to finish things. And then I'm just sitting for three to four hours at a stint and my body is just angry at me my mind is angry at me um it's hard though i work the place i've been working for the last six weeks or so allows you to bring your dog in and it's a really interesting like i feel like that's one of those things that feels like a surface level perk where people are just like oh you just with your startups and your bullshit but like the way it shifts culture to have a creature in the office that everyone understands that you're responsible for who at any moment you could have to be like, guys, I'm sorry. I got to take him out. <laughs> Doesn't matter who's in the meeting. If, if the dog pees in that room, like <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's kind so, of like, a, right? does it function well as like a reminder that, Hey man, I'm my text messages aren't the most important thing. This other thing's going to die. If I, don't yeah. help I mean, so it's a really, it's a, it's a really fascinating, like, cultural instigator in the sense of no one can be mad at you and so it induces a certain degree of flexibility but also you got to take the dog out and the place you got to take it out is generally pretty far from the front door so it's just sort of forces you to have a 15 20 minute break that's one of the arguments that cigarette smokers give you for their habit it forces me to take a break yeah there's, there's a lot of things about smoking that I've actually always thought were good, like the forced social interactions with strangers, leaving the loud bar to then not go drink. <laughs> like, there's some really interesting components to it. The only health um, discussion we were here that smoking is good for your health. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, but so, like... <laughs> and it's cool, right? Don't forget that it's cool. Uh, it's also cool, yeah. But just the idea that, like, culturally, like, I feel like that, that demonstrates fairly well what you're dealing with if you're trying to have a health like startup or you're trying to dip a toe into the health space, right? Like you're up against a culture where it's a, it's it's acceptable to have an addiction that causes you to need a 20 minute break every two hours, but it's not acceptable for me to be like, yo, I got to clear my head. I'm just going to walk around the block some. Yeah. It's interesting. Like that's a problem for you know, general productivity, mental health, 
all manner. It really is. And talking about productivity, I do find, you know, and I, I know everyone here is is pretty excited about exercise. I find exercise to be my default backup plan for the productivity. Like if I'm having the worst day and I go for like a 45-minute run, I just feel like I accomplished my day. And over time, it doesn't work. You know, I'll, I'll feel, you know I, want, I want the intellectual component and the social component, but, you know, I've always used that. I, I think since I was young to, to escape from things and, you know, find some emotional relief and some physical relief. And, um, you know, from a productivity standpoint, it helps me. It helps refocus me. It helps rebalance me. I think being just dog tired and exhausted is actually a great way for me at least to think. And I'm a pretty high intensity person, so... It's it is a unique thing. I don't I don't recommend it for everybody, um, but it's nice to have that as a backup plan. And you know, when I think about exercise, it's such a great stress reliever in that sense, and it always has been. But um, finding time to do it is is always the challenge for 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 most people. I I love that comment, Pat. I've never heard anyone say it like that before. Like I know a lot of people are like, I use exercise. Like exercise makes me feel better. Exercise like makes me more productive for the day. But I've never heard someone say it's my my backup plan for productivity. And that's exactly how I use it all the time too. It's never, I've never seen it like that. I love that. I've never really thought of it that way, but it's always the first component in, in a phase for me of trying to get a handle on my schedule uh, when I start to feel like I have no idea what's going on in my life. (laughs) It's always like, okay, I haven't been running in the morning. I haven't been writing in the morning. I'm just going to get back to doing that. So I'm healthy. And then figure the rest of it out. Well, the the other thing you said in there that I think is uh, interesting, Pat, is you were like, I'm, you said you are uh, uh, like super, super intense, super intensity with your your workouts and your, your use of energy throughout the day. Um, And so for you to get that benefit, to take a break from work and go get some exercise, come back and feel refreshed and clear headed and. Uh, happy and well probably requires a more significant investment a harder activity maybe more time doing it more intensity um but for someone who doesn't typically work out like you said earlier maybe just walking around the block uh accomplishes the same thing um and that component seems like a serious challenge to lay out for people how do you know what any individual needs how do you know when they're doing too much when they're going to harm themselves and how do you know when uh they're doing too little and then how do you in in today's world where all i feel like everyone sees every other picture on their phone or their computer is someone who is in tip-top phenomenal shape selling them a juice diet how do you let that person how do you let the normal person know the average person know that Hey man, just, just go for like a half mile slow jog and you're going to feel awesome. I want to break that down for a second first though. (laughs) When you say selling you a juice diet, you mean like they're on Instagram and they're literally saying, do you want to look like me? Use this juice diet. The the article I posted to you guys in this, in the Slack channel for this episode is very much about that. And it's a little aggressive, but it's also written pretty well. And it's, it's. It's very, it's appropriate for this conversation, but, but yeah, there's like such aggressive marketing coming at us all day. That's trickery now too. Cause everyone thinks it's just some, some kid on Instagram that they could be like, and it's not, it's a scam. It's like old people in suits 
hiring yeah. young and women I, you know, to I, sell you to bullshit. The, I fell, I, I fell victim to this, this, this thought process. You know, when I was coming to college, I looked like what I thought you were supposed to look like as an American who was fit, you know, like over large muscles. My, I'm a pretty small guy and I had 20 pounds of extra muscle in my body. It l- looked amazing. It was so bad for my health. It was so bad. I mean, <laughs> it's so funny to think about now. And, and, and also I would say to that one thing that I think about a lot there, Brian, is that that's a snapshot in someone's life. Even the model's life, that's just a snapshot, which is so interesting is like we're living lives from snapshot to snapshot. And you'll see these 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 kind of random one-offs about influencer bloggers who actually gain weight and look healthier and look better and all these type of things. And we were talking about weight earlier as a measurement and kind of how it's not a great one um, for, for, for a lot of people. But I don't know. I mean, I, I'll tell you if I figure that out, my company is going to be a, a roaring success. So I'll keep trying. But uh, it, it's hard. It's hard not to feel like, wow, I want to look like that. And then to, uh, to Adam, we were talking about like, can I do it in 30 days? Like I have 30 days. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get healthy. And then I'm never have to worry about it again. <laughs> like, man, one of my favorite, I was, uh, Channing Tatum. One of my, one of my favorite things out there. <laughs> I can't remember if he was on a podcast or if it was in print or what, but it was somebody was talking to Channing Tatum about one of the magic Mike movies where if you don't know what they are, all you need to understand is he spends most of the movie naked. <laughs> Mostly naked. He, yeah, no. He Maybe plays a stripper. Cool so there are there are certainly climactic scenes in which he at least has his shirt off. And somebody was asking about like his physique, and his answer was just, I want to make one thing really clear. I looked like that for one five-hour period in order to shoot that scene, and then I went <laughs> back to being a fat ass. He's like, I spent hours in a sauna. He's like, there are tricks you use to look that way and they are not healthy. And I need you to understand that, you know, I mean, he is generally a healthy dude. Probably some hyperbole there, but. But to be that kind of ripped, that like ripped like the rock, like you got to not drink any water, get on an elliptical for three hours in a sweatsuit in a room that's 95 degrees you know, and then you're that ripped for the two hours for your photo shoot, and then you go drink a whole bunch of water and totally. hope you didn't damage your leg. And to that point, The Rock works out for like six hours a day. Who has time to do that? It's exhausting just thinking about it. I mean, it's crazy. I love The Rock. I just want to throw that out there. I think I also like Channing Tatum that much, but he's not He's not as in the public eye as The Rock is. <laughs> I hope they're so, buddies. There was an interesting piece you mentioned in there about like intensity and you were saying sometimes that 1 a.m time when you are fatigued and you are like in this different state is a you know it's a it's a it's a real thing but i also feel like sometimes we talk about that with this room and it's sort of from this like romantic angle where it's like oh i was up so late it's like okay but what did you produce and so i have a phenomenon that i've been trying to trying to get my head around since the end of school and going back to a lot of freelance like creative work is like what do I do when I can't stop thinking about a project that I'm I'm problem solving for at like three in the morning because I used to feel bad and I used to toss and turn for four hours and then get up and go oh god I slept like shit like, uh, now my day is now I'm tired and now it's like I would bear all the baggage of the fact that I knew I was supposed to get a certain amount of sleep. Lately, I've just kind of been owning it. And as soon as I, I guess maybe it's like a mindful thing, but as soon as I'm aware that that's what's happening, I just get up 
and I start writing or I start working on the project in whatever way I got to work on the project. And I know I'm going to be tired all day, but I'm never more tired than I was when I just tossed and turned for four hours and had a shitty day. So it's like, well, fuck, if I'm going to have a shitty day, I might as well get started at 3.30 and bang out a few good hours yeah, before I'm dead. <laughs> like, and I and I and I produce great stuff during that period sometimes. So like you also have to own that there are times when if what you do it, it doesn't even there's not even a like a a qualifier if what you do is with your brain, right? Just it doesn't matter what you do. It it's going to bump up against trying to stick to these strict metrics that people talk about all the time, whether it's you have a kid or you take a weird job or your job is just to keep your brain healthy. Cause what you do is sit in a room all day and have ideas. Like it, there's this piece where you, you can't, you can't have this idea that I'm going to stick to this black or white or else I failed. It's well, not, this speaks to a theme <laughs> that uh, Adam and I've noticed recently in a lot of our conversations that we haven't really discussed directly until recently, but uh, it's the idea of a feedback loop. And I think a lot of what Corevity is doing, right, is trying to give you information so you can make intelligent decisions. But, <clears throat> I mean, you see that in a lot of places, not just in health. You see it all over the place. Humans, the whole world runs on feedback loops, right? It's like the nature of the universe is interaction, information sharing, and then changing behavior because of the information. But one thing we don't see in a lot of really important places with human human feedback loops, we don't see like here is where you've done enough and you can relax now. And I definitely feel like we have that with fitness, right? Because I think people picture the rock as fit or maybe not the rock. He's a, he's an, a kind of a cartoonish character almost, but they picture like an athlete or they picture uh, a, a young yoga teacher who's been fit their whole life, or they picture uh, the ideal person in their sport. And that's not necessarily that person might be a little healthier than you, but you're plenty healthy if you're not as fit as a star athlete. And how do we discover uh, what is enough and all this stuff, right? Like when are you eating healthy enough that you can eat pizza and feel great that you had a pizza? Or when when have you worked out enough that you can relax the next three days and yeah. just totally There's actually a very interesting fitness. book out right now, uh, Dan Butner. Um, it's called the Blue Zones, and he's writing about these these different groups of people throughout the world who have a lot of um, centenarians, which are people older than a hundred. And there's all these you know different micro communities. There's one in Japan, there's one in Costa Rica, there's actually one in California. And one thing that's very interesting about the one in Japan, um, from a fitness standpoint, is that these women will they get they stand they sit down and stand up like thirty or forty times a day, right? So they're moving with their bodies all the time. They're not running they're not doing these crazy american versions of high intensity training they're literally just getting up and down moving from you know a sitting position on the floor to then standing and because of that their body has incredible flexibility i mean these are these are women in their hundreds who are you know walking around they're in their gardens every day they're 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 really living um and the same way there's the the, the group in costa rica you know a pretty pretty you know not poor community but you know not the american version of wealth and they eat a lot of potatoes. You know, we're we're obsessed with you know eating carbs. To your point, like what, what can I eat? And they eat potatoes and, and fish and <laughs> these really super basic diets. And it's 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 so consistent. I believe that's what's changing them. But 
to your point, um, actually last summer I was, I was doing some traveling. I got married and, um, was working on Crevity and was able to kind of be out of San Francisco for a little bit of time. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing a lot of high intensity training. I was walking a ton. I was walking like five or 10 miles a day and my body actually started to look less what I would say is fit. And it was, it was, it was, I was angry about it. I was really frustrated. Like, you know, my, you know, I was less kind of just, um, more lean, but less muscular. And I didn't know what to do about it. I came back and I started running again in San Francisco and I, I lost 10% of my mile times. So I hadn't run for three months and all of a sudden I was just faster and basically stronger and, and better. And it was so weird. It was, I mean, honestly, it was a total mindfuck. I didn't know what to do about it. It took me months to wrap my head around. I thought I was running really poorly and, you know, Strava was telling me I was doing great. But things like that, to your point, to your point, Brian, I mean, if there's things we're doing and we're, you know, I think we're, a lot of us are overtraining um, or we're too worried about doing high intensity things where all we have to do is maybe walk for an hour a day with, with a friend or a partner or, and, and and we'll be healthy enough, you know, we'll be healthy enough to live a very long life. And I feel like there's two things there, which is the thing I, I kept wanting to say while you were talking, Brian, was like, the thing about The Rock is I, I can tell you how to achieve that. You're not going to like it, right? <laughs> so like, it's not, it's not a useful thing to aspire to because it's like, here's how many days, hours a day you got to do cardio Here's how many times you got to hit the gym. Every time you hit the gym, you got to push it to <laughs> feel like you're going to shit your intestines out. Here's what you got to eat. And you're going to be like, that, I love food, but that's so much. I don't even want it. Like that was my life as a, as a swimmer was just like, here are all these places where you're going to have to push yourself until you want to throw up all the time, including eating so many calories you know what it's like to actually eat twelve thousand calories a day it's not fun. they look amazing like the back half of every meal is not enjoyable anymore but it has to happen because otherwise you're asleep in an hour and a half <laughs> but at the what you were saying pat like what you got to at the end there was i think gets us to the corevity pivot that we were talking about before so earlier you mentioned you know like what you built with corevity and you said uh, and that didn't work. So like, and that relates to the fact that there are metrics, you're tracking real things, right? And you were trying to do something with those real things that re relates to something I think we were talking about before we started recording, which was just like reframing. There are metrics. They just kind of need to be reframed. But then there's this other piece, which is the pivot, which is what actually matters is having a community of people that can support you in what you're doing. And this came up with the last time we talked about like health and fitness on the podcast. Cause we had a, a podcast or a CrossFit coach on, um, and say what you want about CrossFit's methodology. There's a community aspect that is like fierce on the level of, I've only seen it on the swim teams, like as a kid in the summer, like they have meets on Saturdays where they all get together and they do CrossFit against one another like that does there's where else does that exist in a fitness option for people right now and i think that's the underlying core of of yeah and soul cycle kind of has a similar type unity i mean mostly in the major cities but same idea yeah. it's very interesting that and and you know everyone who knows about crossfit hates to talk to people who do crossfit because that's all they talk about but 
at some point, you know, you gotta you gotta love and hate that at the same time because that's that's how they've centered their lives, and it's a really neat concept, Adam. I, I'm totally with you there that they've bought into this philosophy. Um, it's actually not a super new philosophy. It's been packaged very well, and it's it's very easy to um, you know to obtain and, and readily accessible for people. It's it's a neat idea that these people love being there. They love you know doing these crazy weird exercises and talking about them. It, it, it's it's neat. Hey Jones, you go to you do uh, like Soul Cycle stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like what or an equivalent? Do you? Yeah. Do they? I was walking by the cycling room at the gym the other day, and they had it was all dark, and they had like a this wall sized screen that was projecting what I could only describe as a hyperspace <laughs> tunnel from Star Wars <laughs> that was rolling in time with the music, and I was just like, man, I'd be so fired up if I was in wow. there right now. <laughs> I have never been in the hyperspace tunnel, but it's pretty close. I do. I mean, I I try to do uh, as many varied forms of exercise as possible, um, partly because I think that's good for you uh, and partly just because it's fun. Uh, it keeps me interested and entertained. But um, Soul Cycle, which I did, or Cycle Bar is the, is the company by me that just opened. Um, uh, I do that. I've done that off and on for like a year or two. Uh, and it's, it's got that same, it's got a lot of the same features of CrossFit, right? There's, there's definitely a really intense community around it. Uh, I'm not really in the community scene. You don't, it's not as focused on the community as CrossFit kind of like you have to be part of the community to do it, but, um, they do, they project. I mean, it's, it's really intense. It's like pop music is playing you've got an instructor who's guiding you and you're kind of i always describe it as like dance you're on a bike but you're like dancing with the class um and then the place i go right now this is the first place that's done this they have real-time analytics and so periodically throughout class they'll throw races up on the screens and so they're two big tv screens and you'll see everyone else's uh intensity both their like power output on the bike uh and their speed um, After your like second class, you came back and you said, "I want to do an episode where we break down whether or not one of these businesses could be self-sustaining based on power generation from the." <laughs> I have that note as an article. Cycling, an article to write. Yeah, you're putting out a tremendous amount of. Uh, uh, I mean, it's perfectly optimized for that, right? You're turning a big metal wheel, which is how we produce all of our electricity. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a it's a natural extension, but. Um, that that idea of community and competition and measurement and feedback, it definitely is not healthy in uh, cycling. I mean, my wife and I started going to this this studio uh, maybe a few months ago. We've gone maybe ten times, and we very quickly were like, "Hey, I can't do full intensity in there. I can't do the races. Like, I really want to. Um, I'm a big guy, so like, it's easy for me to be fast. I can like win the races, but I feel really sick at the end." And then I leave feeling worse, which is totally the opposite of going to, of why I want to go work out. Um, well, and I feel like that community piece, it, the fact that you have the impulse to do that is why teams are teams and they're a thing that people stick to, you know, sports wise, like that community piece is what pushes you that last bit of like, even if it's just competition with the person next to you, you're like, I'm going to hit it. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, fuck, my knee hurts, and now I can't walk around for four days. Like, that's not... So you've failed, right? Like, so, <laughs> Pat, with but, Corevity, what is the... What is your model or your goal with, uh, 
like the community that you're building there. Yeah, the last time we talked about this, within three text messages, I was like, I was to, this is how you revolutionize insurance. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's the first part is just to allow people to share things. I mean, think about when I mean, we talk about fake news all the time, and you guys cover that very well. Health has become the ultimate clickbait, probably next to politics. I mean, the every study finds something new, like you shouldn't be eating apples, like you shouldn't be drinking coffee, and then next week you should, and like coconut oil is bad for you, it's good for you. So the biggest challenge right now in health is just to get rid of all that stuff. So to create really long-term views, sustainable views that that have been in existence for 200 years. And I mentioned Italy earlier. I think the Italian model and actually the Japanese post-World War II model of eating is is brilliant. It's consistent. It's, it, it's very much uh, around eating with people. Um, you can have some wine. You can have some beer. Enjoy it. I mean, you guys were talking earlier about kind of the rock. And that deprivation diet doesn't work for most people. It's it's impossible to maintain just from a psychological standpoint. I mean, you're, you want to have some chocolate. Have some chocolate. I do every night. I love it. Um, and then the second piece is, uh, and I mentioned <laughs> this, I want to build what I call a, a FICO score for health. And this goes to the the financial incentive. I mean, health is really great, but we're spending so much money on it. Wouldn't it be nice if we get some money back? So, I mean, healthcare is a huge discussion. I don't want to pivot into that right now because it's, it's a bit of a can of worms. But we know we're spending more than any other country uh, from a healthcare standpoint. Um, we know actually for the first time the returns are diminishing. And I mean by that is we're not living longer. So that's kind of scary. Um, but I want to provide a way for people to actually get healthcare um, cheaper if they do stay fit. And you go, fitness isn't, you know, as we talked about, it's not running 10 miles a day. It could be walking an hour every day. So how can we provide a model, a real-time model for insurance companies, allow them to um, see the, the the health of individuals and then and give them benefits? I mean, and we're, this is happening in this space. There's some wellness programs. You'll see corporations giving um, individuals, you know, gym, gym membership stipends or, or some company kind of um, experiments where they can, you know, compete, compete in steps. But Individual health insurance is really expensive, and we all want it. I don't think there's anyone out there who doesn't want health insurance, so we can find a way to, to provide cheaper health insurance if you try and be healthy. Um, maybe that's part of the feedback mechanism. You know, Monetary feedback is always good for us as a society. We get it. It's straightforward. Um, and maybe that will help us kind of get pushed in the, in the right direction and, and move past some of the pretty scary challenges we're having in health right now from you know obesity and, and cardiovascular disease and things like that that are really slowing down an entire generation of people. And I think the reality of what you just, like what you just described is coming. If you think it's going to be any other way, you're wrong. Like, the, and, and you can know that because the companies are already doing it. They only care about the bottom line. So if a giant company is going, if we get these people, Apple watches, they are healthier and they work better and we make more money. The game's over. So some sort of system that tracks your health based on metrics that we're able and happy to track and hand over to healthcare professionals because they make us happier. Like that, that's going to turn into a system where you're incentivized to be healthy on some level, whether it's monetary or, you know, and right now with our structure where that's going to slot in is the other piece that I'm going to touch on, but we're going to have to come back to for another episode is just insurance companies are not, they're not in the business of helping you. They're in the business of betting on whether or not you are going to stay healthy 
and then deciding whether like deciding if you are a good enough bet to take on at what rate mm-hmm. yeah, they're in order to, to gamble on the fact that you're not going to get sick and they're not going to have to pay you any money. When you think about that piece of it and you say, hey, I have a metric by which you can use data to make betting decisions. Just look, look how data has affected everywhere else that's <laughs> just fucking fantasy football. You know? Like... <laughs> So I'm stoked about, you know, that piece of the conversation and how Corevity is, you know, sort of a, a, a tip of the spear that I think starts from community in that aspect of use the data, use all this other stuff, use, you know, everything that you can find, but build your community around a mental model for how to handle this stuff, which I feel like is the same thing that is engineering is we're just constantly trying to figure out how to think about things. Which I tend to feel like is the definition of philosophy. It's just, uh, I'm going to shout a bunch of things at you, and then we're going to talk about how you thought about them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, thanks for thanks for hanging out. Yeah. I feel like we probably want to wrap up. Any last? I mean, my last fun, my last, know, my last fun thought is with all this, all this. You know, I I, part, I loved right? your guys' discussion about AI. It was like it was so fun and scary and thought-provoking and absolutely real in my mind. But one thing I'm struck by that is we're going to have so much more time. So we're going to fill it with these nonsensical things like checking Slack 50 times a day or checking Instagram 50 times a day, or we're going to actually use it to be healthier and have more fun. And, you know, imagine a world where, you know, we could work for an hour a day in some capacity and then pursue our passions and health allows you to do all those things. So if that world's coming to us, don't we want to be healthy enough to be around when it, when it gets here? And that's kind of what I'm driving toward. I want to be surfing when I'm 80. You know, I think, you know, Jones might want to be surfing or playing volleyball and Adam might want to be biking when they're 80. So how can we drive toward that and, you know, live every day to that, that experience? And maybe for you, it's just reading. I mean, I don't mean to say it has to be some physical activity. I mean, being emotionally connected to yourself and, and the things around you is a, is a pretty rad way to be. Yeah, we'll like, end with yeah, let's wrap this shit up. Thank you for bringing for, that stoke. This is awesome, for, guys. Thank you so much. hanging out, man. I'm sweating yeah, over for, here. I was so nervous. bringing the yeah, stoke. Thank uh, <laughs> thanks for being thanks a long-time always. listener and supporter too, buddy. It means yeah. a ton to us, and it's awesome. And uh, you kind of prompted that whole AI series oh, with those articles so you heady. sent us. They're those so were great. awesome. <laughs> But uh, special thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon who throw us as little as a dollar an episode to help keep this thing going. Uh, we've got it all dialed in. If you throw us a buck per episode on there, you can get into our Slack channel where we just are just constantly talking to people like Pat about shit like this and passing links around. And I just, I've more or less given up on socials across the board and just dump everything in Slack. Because that's where people end up talking about it. Uh, this is Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And I'm Pat. Oh, rate and review on iTunes if you want to help this this thing keep going. Get a good yeah. night's sleep tonight, everybody. <laughs> but don't feel bad if you don't. <laughs> The invention of bread is one of the reasons we have computers. Like, <laughs> well-respected right? delivery mechanism for not dying <laughs> from starvation. <laughs>